Well, good morning. You can go ahead and have a seat. Today in our uh, scripture passage, we're still in the Sermon on the Mount. We have been there for a few weeks. And today, Jesus continues to create a mental and spiritual and physical framework for how kingdom people are to live. That is to think and speak and pray and act. He's establishing a framework for kingdom people, how we believe and behave. He is establishing this through a set of values. He brings us a new set of kingdom values, and they are these. Kingdom values align with God's intent for creation and therefore cannot lie, cannot align with our values of self-protection. That's number one. God's kingdom values align, the kingdom values align with God's intent for creation and therefore cannot align with our ideas about self-protection. We can't. Kingdom values are service and love. That's it, period. Kingdom values invite all people to choose Jesus and to enter the kingdom of heaven. This is what Jesus is saying in this passage. And this framework for the kingdom is a framework of radical hospitality. And today, the key word in that phrase is radical. A few years ago, there was a Facebook fundraising campaign for ALS. Uh, what would happen is that people would challenge others to sit in a chair and either have a bucket of cold water dumped over their head, icy water, like ice-filled water, a bucket full dumped over their head, or contribute money to the fund. And then you would challenge a couple of other people on Facebook to do the same thing. Either sit and have a bucket of icy cold water dumped over your head, or make a donation. And so, uh, because I'm cheap, now I made a donation too. But I went outside, and this was in Texas, so I'm only assuming that it was wicked hot. And I sat in a chair, and my daughter Natalie, and, oh, actually, we sat, in, we did it together. It was a, we walked to this together, didn't we? I forgot that you were right there with me. Yeah, I think what I said is I'll do it, oh, but only if you'll do it, right? If we're, if we're really going to do it. And so Tamara and I sat there, and I maybe kept it, but we had to have two buckets of water. And boom, buckets of water dumped over our head. Here was the sensation. The idea is that it creates in your body this, ah, that feels a little bit like ALS for a minute. And what happened to me is it was, it was so intense that I was, just dis, I was just kind of disoriented for a moment, like, wow, what's going on? And fortunately, I don't suffer with ALS, and so that subsided pretty quickly. And for just a moment after that, I had this intense moment of clarity. I'm awake. Today, in his sermon, Jesus is pouring a bucket of cold water He wants us to be radically disoriented to the things that we think are right in our own hearts. And he wants us to awaken and be alive to his set of kingdom values. And he gets pretty offensive in this chapter. You need to hear me. He is picking a fight with everybody who's listening. He's using hyperbole. He's going, you know, sometimes to set the standard back to the healthy place God wants it, God takes it way to the other side. 
to get our attention. And he wants to break down the idea that we can be the kingdom for ourselves. And so, one, sometimes when we read these kind of lessons from Jesus, we immediately classify in our minds, well, Jesus doesn't really mean that we do any of this. He just wants us to believe it in our hearts. How do you think that's working out? Now, seriously, we do this all the time. In fact, Jesus just warned about, or Paul warned the Corinthians about this. Paul read it. This Paul read Paul. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. No, no. I confound the wisdom of the world. I confound all of that. You are to behave like kingdom people. You are to behave like kingdom people. So there's just a little warning for us today, because things start to get hard now in the Sermon on the Mount. They were a little hard before, like Jesus begins to extend some things. Like if you, if you hate your brother, that's murder. That gets hard, by the way. I mean, that's, that's hard. But now it gets really hard because he is setting values that align with God's intent for creation and therefore cannot align with our own ideas of self-protection. They can't. The other temptation we have is to take the teachings of Jesus and to take our favorite ideas from the world and we just we go through all these hoops, mental and uh, intellectual and verbal, to try to make our little kingdoms and his grand kingdom match up. And that is not the lesson of the Sermon on the Mount. The lesson in the Sermon on the Mount is that my kingdom it is above it really, what his lesson is, is it crushes those other kingdoms. That's what Jesus says in Leviticus that Paul wrote us. You heard the rhythm in Paul's voice. I am going to do this, and you are going to respond like this. I am the Lord. Paul didn't say it quite that way, because he's a gentleman. Next time, Paul, give us a big, I am the Lord. You know, that'll be good. <laughs> and so... Jesus takes on actually four areas of self-protection that were prominent in the day then and prominent in the day now. He says protection of personal reputation and social status is our idea and does not align with God's intention for creation. Protection of our personal reputation, self-protection, and social status is our idea and does not align with God's intention for creation. This whole idea of turning the other cheek, right? We've, we've broken all these down into little quippy sayings, turn the other cheek. Um, it, actually is an, it actually is an insult. Someone walks up to you and slaps you with the back of their hand on the right cheek was the greatest insult you could ever be given in the ancient world. The greatest insult. And what Jesus is saying to do is to not punch back and not even to resist. We don't get to retaliate. In fact, what we get to do is to stand straight and once again extend radical hospitality that invites that person to kingdom living, even at the risk of getting slapped again. That's one. So, second, protection of our money by any means necessary, including legal beings, is our idea and does not align with God's intention for creation. Um, don't have to talk about this. Jesus uses the word sue. Pretty easy. 
And he doesn't even give credibility to the idea that we should be about defending ourselves and our money. In fact, he says, listen, someone, if someone's going to go ahead and sue you, just give him the, give, he's going to sue you for your shirt, give him your coat too. Protection of our legal rights by pledging allegiance to worldly kings and earthly political systems, thoughts or practices or parties is our idea and does not align with God's intention for creation. This whole idea of if someone asked you to walk a mile, walk two, it was a military and political problem. The Roman soldiers were, were inscripting people to carry heavy packages for long distances without paying them. They would just, by the way, Simon carrying Jesus' cross, that is what this is. It's inscription. You carry this. No choice of your own. The Jewish leaders of the day that wanted a kingdom by force were using that as a rallying cry to get people to take up arms against the Roman government. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You can't do that. That's self-protection. Jesus says, if they ask you to carry something heavy for a mile, carry it two miles instead. Protection of our prideful dignity and comfort by avoiding or judging those who beg and borrow is our idea and does not align with God's kingdom values or his intent for creation. There was a popular thought among Jews and Romans alike. I want to tell you something. Jews and Romans of the ancient world didn't agree about anything except their class system. They agreed on this. And the poor and those who asked for, and by the way, those who asked for a loan is the person who's poor and says, can I just get a couple bucks today? I'll pay it back tomorrow. And you know that they are unable to pay it back. That's, that's what's going on here. Same kind of person, okay? Jews and Romans alike would say this is one of the lowest classes of society and they're to be avoided. If a poor person's here, I walk over here. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan? People thought he was poor because he had gotten beat up and everybody walked to the other side of the street. It was acceptable behavior, even lauded behavior. The idea being that they clearly have done something wrong to be poor, so they deserve to be poor. I'm not giving them any money. That, is, that was the thought of the day. So Jesus has a great word here for kingdom. When someone comes to beg or borrow, give. And that's it. Give. Just give. And you may say, but Brian, what about justice? What about rule of law? What about order? God's answer, I take care of all that. Can you hear me? You don't have to protect yourself, God says. Paul read it in Leviticus and in Corinthians and in our psalm. I confound the wisdom of the world. I bring people to justice. I enact vengeance. I make things the way I want them to be. You don't have to. Now, Jesus isn't being offensive because he hates us. He's being offensive because he loves us. And he's saying, I love you so much, I'm offering you a new set of values that you can live your life by. You can be happy, lucky. If you weren't here a couple weeks ago, lucky. You can pray for my kingdom to come and it will on earth like it is in heaven. You're fortunate to be poor. You're lucky. I love you. 
Stop trying to protect yourselves. I do a better job of that. You lay that down so that you can love and serve others. That's the kingdom value he's calling us to. And listen, it's better than our own values. Aren't you tired? I got an oi, not an amen. I prayed today that we would be exhausted from trying to hang on to our own values. That's my prayer for you today. That we would be so tired of trying to get it for ourselves that we would lay it down and let God do it for us. And walk in his ways of kingdom values, of service and love. Service, Jesus already talked about that. We just talked about it. So how do we serve people, even our enemies? Through radical hospitality, we invite them to choose Jesus and enter the kingdom of heaven, even if they insult us again, even if they slap the left cheek. Come on, serve them. We serve all people with humility and kindness, even if, if it means giving them the coat off our back. We serve all people by walking with anyone through anything towards Christ and his kingdom, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it costs us. And we serve all people through sacrificial generosity, generosity, giving, giving, giving to meet their needs. That's what we do. That's service. For those of us in the room who are not convinced that Jesus actually means all of these things, that he actually means that if someone hits you in the side of the face, you're supposed to stand up and keep inviting them to the cross. I want to remind you that that is exactly what Jesus did for you and me. Matthew 26, 67 uses the exact same word in the turn the other cheek sentence when he says this, then they spit in his face and struck him and some even slapped his right cheek with the back of their hand. Jesus is only asking us to do what he freely did for us. He is the suffering servant that we will celebrate in our next season, the season of Lent. And yes, we will celebrate him. Everyone says, celebrate, Brian, Lent, fasting, alms. Yes, we will celebrate our suffering sermon, servant. We will celebrate the cross. We will celebrate it. We'll celebrate his death, and we will join him by dying to ourselves because that is what he did for us. That's how he served us. And can I say one other thing? Making Jesus' words here merely spiritual or intellectual and trying to conform them to our own ideas of worldly living actually promotes retaliation and stops short at toleration. They do. When we try to self-protect, when someone hits me in the cheek, I got to start playing games in my head. How do I hit him back with st and still look spiritual? How do I make my retaliation look like the kingdom? See? Service is absolutely counter to retaliation. Jesus loves us so much, he says, just lay down your retaliation. Aren't you exhausted? Just serve instead. I say a lot to people all the time, and they give me a look like it can be. Well, yeah, I don't think so. I always say to people, it's always the right thing to serve somebody. Always. And people are like, yeah, but what if your boundaries? Service has boundaries. God sets them for you. He protects you. It's always right to serve. 
What should I do to that person? Let's serve him. Yeah, but he's bothering me. Serve him. He might hit me in the face. Serve him. That's the antidote to retaliation. And then, you know, tolerance is a word that some of us really hate, some of us really love. It's a fine word. It's too weak. It stops too short. It's easy. It's easy to tolerate somebody. Well, until they disagree with you, then we don't tolerate them at all, right? Toleration just ends, right? I'll tolerate you right up to the point where you disagree with me. And then I'll ask you to tolerate my ideas while I'm not tolerating yours. Jesus says, toleration is too weak for my kingdom. That's a world system. And you may say, good, I don't have to tolerate anybody. <laughs> Jesus says, no, you, you really don't. Because I'm asking you to love them instead. Everybody, yep, up to and including your enemies. Jesus can't mean that. Yes, he does, because one of his last words were, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Of course he means it. So he calls us to love. And if you're wondering what that looks like for those of us who are believers, you can look at your Bibles if you have them open right now, and beginning in chapter 6 and extending through chapter 7, there are several little chapter titles here, little section titles. There's 11 or 12, depending on what your Bible says. And they, and, it, and they are little sections of Jesus teaching us what love looks like. He goes on. I, I think they're absolutely designed to, be, to bridge off of this passage. I don't think they're stopped. I think Matthew puts them there to say, now, here's what love looks like. I'm just going to go through them really quick. I'm going to preach three chapters. Here we go, Lillian. All right? First, anonymously and sacrificially give money to those in need only because they have need and for no pat on the back for you. In this way, you help the destitute while growing in humility. That's how you love. That's one. That's enough, right? Nope, there's more. Pray the Lord's Prayer to conform our own selfish wills and desires to God's will and his intention for creation. Preach that sermon already. You can listen from a couple weeks ago. Fast so you can know that you don't need everything that you think you need and you can create margins of time and money in your life so you have the space and the resources to serve others. That's love. Did you know that fasting is love? It is. Don't seek to amass personal treasure and reputation that only benefits you and yours, but rather amass your treasure in heaven so it will impact generations upon generations upon generations upon generations. Treasure that is stored in heaven is everlasting. Practice being a faithful, non-anxious presence by refusing to worry about or manipulate your existence on earth and rest that God will meet all of your physical needs. That's love. Don't be easily offended or judge other people, but first live as if you're a sinner and in desperate need of a Savior to give sight to your own blindness. This keeps you from looking like a foolish hypocrite and draws you toward others rather than away from others. Pray, pray some more, keep praying, and pray together with your brothers and sisters for my kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. That's what he means when he says, ask, seek, and knock. Pray, pray some more, keep praying, pray with your brothers and sisters that my kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. 
be ever shaped by my kingdom values as written in the scripture and demonstrated by my people throughout history so that you have the ability and the capacity to treat everyone like you want to be treated. Which, by the way, we all want to be treated with service and love. That is what the scripture teaches. That is what the prophet said. Be weary of anyone who comes with a message that my kingdom values align with worldly values. Their fruit is rotten and their kingdom is from hell and to hell it will return. It's in there. And it's strong. Create shalom for all people, even your enemies, and invite them to join my kingdom. Because there will come a day when I have to send some away. And I want everyone to be invited to the kingdom. Those are the values of love. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Kingdom values are not like our values. They are for God's intention. Kingdom values are service and love, period. And last but not least, and quickly, kingdom values invite all people to choose Jesus and to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what kingdom values are. They are radically hospitable to invite all people to enter the kingdom of heaven. Not all will, but we are to invite all too. And then Jesus says something several times in this sermon, in chapter 5, in chapter 6, and in chapter 7. He says, pray. Right? In chapter 5, he just says this way, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And I got to tell you, as a pastor, I read that and said, pray? I mean, Jesus, there's got to be something else. And then I got to thinking. Prayer aligns us to our Father and his good will. So we are living like kingdom people and acting with kingdom values. That's why we pray, is that we align our will to his will. That's one reason. The second reason is that actually prayer is mission. I just want to read uh, a missiologist and a missionary, John D. Robb, writes this little, little quote that I love. When prayer to our God of temporal justice and eternal salvation is emphasized, evangelism and social action are linked in the most essential way. The God who inspires prayer for the world, listen, the God who inspires prayer for the world stirs the heart of his people both to share his good news and to dispense love and mercy. Can you hear that? When we pray, our wills are stirred to talk to people about Jesus and to show people Jesus. When we see people coming to Christ, health improving, economic opportunity increasing, and kingdom values growing, we find that believers have been praying. We often say, let's pray, pray for missions and missionaries. That's fine. I say, let's do missions by praying. And remember, prayer always leads to gospel conversations and social actions because without both speaking the gospel and doing the gospel, there is simply no good news. Those of us who are aligned with the will of God will always be kingdom people who share and show his <coughs> mercy. That's who we are. So, 
We're going to do a few things in Lent to pray. We're going to have you lots of opportunities for you to pray during Lent. And it's not because it's Lent and what we do or we're trying to be slick or whatever. Prayer is mission. It aligns our will to the values of the kingdom, and it is mission, and so we want to give you lots to do. There will be several, uh, at least two, during um, Lent, prayer against human trafficking, second Friday of every month. You, that's been going on. You know about that. It's right here. We will have two opportunities to pray for the University of Bridgeport, and our friendship dinner is coming up. We'll have a prayer walk on the campus, and we will uh, be invited to go to an area-wide prayer meeting before, ahead of our uh, putting out our hospitality uh, dinners for them. We are going to pray for the persecuted church and our local missions, friends, and partners during prayers of the people for Lent. You should, you should listen for that. We're going to take one area of the persecuted church each week, and we're going to pause and pray for them. And we're going to take one of our missions, friends, and partners and pray for them during prayers of the people for Lent. We are going to do missions as prayer, prayer as missions. And then last but not least, we are going to come every Monday evening and pray. Can have soup first if you can make it. That'll be out from 5.30 to 7. Some people are like, I can't get there till 6.55. Good, soup will still be out. Have some soup and then come pray with us at 7.30. We'll just leave it out. Come and go as you please. Sometime around 6.30, we'll do the Lord's Prayer with the kids. And families have to go home. We'll give lots of time. And then at 7.30, we'll come in here and we'll do evening prayer together. And we'll have a little bit longer time to focus on the, the area of, of persecuted church and the mission partner that we started the Sunday before. We'll have a little extra time to do that. You see how that works? And we're praying for mission. So there's four. Jesus establishes a set of kingdom values that align with his intent for creation, are of service and love, and invite people to choose the kingdom of heaven. So for our moment of silence, might be 60 seconds, might be two minutes, depending on how uncomfortable I get. My question is simply this. How is God asking you to align to his kingdom? You bow your head and close your eyes. I'll watch the time. May it be so in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.